Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, tennis fans, and welcome to episode 31 of The Passing Shot. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello guys, welcome to The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast. This week on The Passing Shot, we'll be rounding up and talking about all the major events in Monte Carlo. I thought Rafa was going swimmingly and then he just came a cropper in the semi-finals. Uh, totally wasn't expecting that result. We'll also look at the Fed Cup semi-finals. French team had brought in Nadenovic for her record against Halep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a bit of strategy there, particularly with the the first rubber. But um, sadly, it didn't come off with with Halep out routing Ladenovic six three six one. And we'll have a special guest with us to talk through GB's Fed Cup and their tie against Kazakhstan. That, I, th- I think that took um, the the Brits by surprise a little bit. Um, I don't think they'd expected quite so much noise from. Um, and to be fair, I don't think the Kazakhstan players had even expected that. We'll also be talking about everything else that's happened over the last two weeks in the tennis world. And to join me is my co-host, Kim. How are you doing? Hello. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Looking forward to discussing all the shenanigans <laughs> on the clay and also at the Copper Box in London. Yeah, we'll have tennis on telly. Uh, who was previously a guest on the show, and he'll be back on later to to chat all things uh, GB and and more. So uh, yeah, let's let's get started, shall we, Joel? How how have you been? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, looking 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 forward to that because tennis on telly uh, slash Lee was actually at the Copper Box. Sadly, we we weren't there, but uh, we do have an insider who can give us kind of the inside scoop on what on what happened in what was quite a dramatic tie between GB and Kazakhstan. But before we get on to that, let's start with the ATP Tour. Let's start in Monte Carlo uh, for results roundup. Kim, I know this is going to be quite hard for you, given that you're a you know, big Rafa Nadal fan. But uh, I'm hoping that we can we can make it through this segment without without any tears. Is that is that OK? Is that is that doable? Well, Monte Carlo 2019 did not happen, Joel. So I don't know what we're going to be discussing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it wasn't the best event, was it? Uh, I thought Rafa was going swimmingly and then he just came a cropper in the semifinals. Totally wasn't expecting that result, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, most people will be aware of Nadal and Monte Carlo. He's won it. He's an 11-time champion. He was going after his 12th title. You obviously had um, a knee injury in, I think it was in Indian Wells, so took took time off to get ready for the clay season. All looked very good in the kind of opening matches. Kim, I, I remember you WhatsApp me saying you were worried <laughs> for his his first his first uh, match on court against 
Bautista Agut, who, you know, very, very solid clay court player. Exactly. Very accomplished. I thought, oh, <laughs> his big, big threat on the cards. <laughs> but it, it turned out to be like a, you know, he, he won the first set in like 20 minutes. He was, you know, it was a real kind of steamroller. And then he went on to face Dimitrov. Dimitrov played well, but he seemed to negate the threat with um, another straight sets victory. And he followed that again with another straight straight sets victory against Guido Pella. A little bit more difficult. I, I think there were, I think, you know, looking back, you know, there were potential kind of warning signs there. Because I think he did lose his serve, I think, four times in, in that match. But yeah, he still kind of came through in, in straight sets and, and set up, a you know, that that match that fatal match against Fabio Fognini well I know Fognini has history with Rafa on clay he's beaten him I think a couple of times before so I was a bit like oh I'd rather him play someone else but (laughs) yeah I was I was shocked though still to see that result come in and and, you know Rafa said that was like literally one of the worst matches he's played on clay in like the last 14 years which you know doesn't exactly bode well for the rest of the clay season for Rafa fans um, but I'm hoping it's just, you know, a one-off and I'd rather him throw in a bad performance here than, you know, at the French Open where it's obviously more at stake. So it remains to be seen what, what the issue is with, with Rafa's form there. I mean, good good on Fognini though. You know, he actually went on to win the title. So he's actually only the fourth player since 2005 to have won Monte Carlo. Because uh, it's just been dominated by Rafa, obviously, and then Novak picked up two titles, and also Stan got a uh, title as well. Yeah, I mean, Fognini came into Monte Carlo not with a lot of match wins under his belt. He was in poor form. His first round match, he was against Andrei Rublev, and he was a set and four-one down. So he was almost very close to going out in in that first round, but managed to turn that around, um, and then yeah, kind of took out Zverev. And then came up against Nadal, and at, and at one point he he almost uh, he could have bageled he could have bageled Nadal, couldn't he? He he could well have done. Yeah, I mean it was pretty uh, pretty awful. Um, yeah, I mean it, that's that's why it's just you know where where does this performance rank? You know for Rafa amongst his worst defeats on clay. I mean I remember he lost he lost at Roland Garros a couple of years back to Novak, and I remember his lost to Sodling as well. The first time you know he'd ever lost at Roland Garros, and I was I was distraught for that one. So yeah, it, it's it's it was a bit of a shocker. Yeah, but, but also but the we thing should... is, I would yeah, I, I well I was going to say you might you might touch on this point as well is that. I think Monte Carlo generally had a lot of shocks in the in the mm. tournament. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about Fognini, you know, winning the final, but his opponent, again, you know, start of Monte Carlo, I don't think anyone would have said, oh yeah, Dusan Lajevic, he's going to get to the Monte Carlo final. Exactly. World number 48 is his first time in his career that he recorded five straight victories on the tour, on the ATP tour. Um, so he managed to get through your favourite, Jaziri. Uh, David Goffin, Dominic Team, Lorenzo Sonego, who's another player who sort of was brought to our attention in this tournament, mm. and then Daniel Medvedev. So, you know, the best Serb actually in this tournament was not Djokovic, as we all thought it was going to be, but Lajovic. And then talking of Djokovic, he succumbed to uh, Medvedev in the uh, quarterfinals, I believe it was, which I, you know, didn't see that one coming either. So, yeah, another surprise result coming out of Monte Carlo. I think you're looking at those quarterfinals, you're almost kind of expecting your your mind to wander. Oh, yes, it'll be another 
Djokovic versus Nadal final, but Medvedev's win against Djokovic and Lavic's win against Team it opened up the opened up the draw, and yeah, we had a very unlikely final. And yeah, I think it kind of raises the kind of question: is you know Roger Federer chose to skip Monte Carlo, and there is a you know is there a question around you know do you think he kind of maybe regrets that decision in hindsight, given that you know Djokovic and Nadal not at the you know the peak of their powers in this tournament going out early. Federer, Monte Carlo, actually surprisingly one of the few Masters events he hasn't won. So I wonder if he kind of look back on that and think, you know, maybe I, I could have had, you know, a really good shot of of winning the of winning the title. Well, yeah, and also he would have potentially then become the treble. Well, it would have been his third title if he had come and played Monte Carlo and won it. Because incidentally, rather like the women's tour. 22 of the 23 ATP singles titles so far this year have been won by different players. And Federer is the only double winner having won Dubai and Miami. So, you know, he could have really like uh, <laughs> made it a third title of the year if, he'd, if he had turned up. But I mean, he's going to be back. Is he not in, in uh, Madrid? I'm not sure if he's playing Rome. Yeah, there is some... I mean, I've seen some rumours he may take a late entry to Rome, but at the moment, I think he's only scheduled to play Madrid. Just looking at the the Monte Carlo, uh, elsewhere in the Monte Carlo draw, players who were there, um, again, we kind of saw some other upsets and, and big comebacks. And, you know, two that kind of spring to mind was um, uh, Kei Nishikuri lost to Pierre Hughes. Herbert, is it? Is it Kim? Am I, I saying believe, that correctly? I think. Yeah, I think you've said it better in the past, but I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> Argu- arguably the Not best singles stress. Arguably the best singles uh, slash doubles player at the moment. Uh, beat Nishikuri, anyway. who yeah. was the yeah in the men's side. Sorry, um, who beat Nishikuri, um, who was the 2018 in finest in the second round. Um, as I said, we have Medvedev take out the top seed in, in Djokovic in the quarterfinals. Um, and Cechinato as well had a crazy comeback win against uh, Vavrinka um, in the second round. He was love six, love two down and came back to win love six, seven, five, six, three. So a real kind of, you know, a reminder of what he can he can do on clay, given his kind of big, uh, big outing at the French Open last year. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then going on to the doubles, we had... Nikola Mektic and Franco Skugor, they saved a championship point to win the doubles, uh, beating Robin Haas and Wesley Kuhlhoff. And interestingly, I also of note, the Djokovic brothers were were teamed up um, in the doubles in Monte Carlo. Uh, they lost in the first round, but I thought that was quite interesting to see Marco Djokovic dusting off his rackets to join his more famous <laughs> brother. And... Um, one of my personal favourites, Mark Lopez, he was back playing with Marcel Granolas. Um, they were a pretty good pair a couple of years ago and they teamed up again, but, you know, lost first round as you do. But yeah, it was all in all a very interesting Monte Carlo, I guess to the, I don't know. The neutral. <laughs> fans, yeah, but I was, thank you. I was trying to think of the right word there. <laughs> to neutral fans, it was probably more interesting than Rafa winning his 12th title. So, you know, I'm, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Rafa does at Barcelona uh, this this week. Well, I was just, I was just going to go on to Barcelona before we go on to the Fed Cup. And, and Barcelona is obviously a, a 500 event, but you look at its entry list and we'll, we'll be catching up on, on Barcelona in a future episode. I mean, you've got Nadal, who, you know, who would have, 
obviously like to one uh, Monte Carlo, so you know suffering a little bit of form. Um, Zverev again, kind of continually looking for form. He's the second seed there, and then you've got Team Nishikuri, Sissipas, Kachinov, Medvedev, and Fognini. Um, although I think Fognini may have pulled out of Barcelona, but um, yeah, a very strong lineup um, in the in the five hundred event. So yeah, we'll kind of be interested to see if Nadal can kind of get back to winning ways at a tournament. He you know he historically has done very very well at but um yeah let's kind of move on to the fed cup and uh before we kind of get into you know the uh gb side of of fed cup kim um you're going to talk to us about the um fed cup semi-finals with france versus romania and australia versus belarus yeah so we had two uh exciting Fed Cup ties, not in London. So France, Romania, that was um, out in France. So France, two-time champions, they were bidding to reach the Fed Cup final for the sixth time. And Romania, actually, they, just by being in the semi-finals, had actually equaled their best ever Fed Cup showing. And that was back in 1973. So obviously, Romania have got Simona Halep, so leading leading the way. But yeah, France managed to just edge it, actually, uh, in the doubles and the final rubber. Um, which I think we were both uh, saying how we didn't really realise the doubles was actually the very last rubber and <laughs> we thought it was like Davis Cup and like, you know, played as a third rubber, but that's just our ignorance there showing. But yeah, so Simona Halep, Caroline Garcia, Mladenovic, all in action, top names. And uh, yeah, it came down to the wire. Um, and actually, really interestingly, Caroline Garcia and Christina Mladenovic, they managed to win the doubles tie in three sets. And they haven't played together, you know, in a long time. They they were a very successful doubles partnership a few years back, winning like the WTA finals. Um, and I know they had some personal sort of differences. So they obviously have managed to to override them somewhat to both play Fed Cup again and, and team up. So that was nice to see. Yeah. Um, and, so- I, and I think, yeah. And I, I was just going to say, I thought it was interesting because I think I read somewhere that the French team had brought in Nadenovic for her record against Halep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a bit of strategy there, particularly with the the first rubber. But um, sadly, it didn't come off with, no. with Halep out routing Ladenovic six three six one. But um, yeah, that that second day, kind of looking at the the results, um, you know, it was going in, you know, one all um, in the tie, and all matches were were went to the went to the third set. Uh, you know, with Halep beating Garcia six four in the third, Parmentier beating Begu. 6-2 in the third and then as you said kind of that doubles um at the very end was very tight very tense with uh France uh, just ed- edging it 6-4 um in in the final set exactly yeah and then we also had the other semi-final uh between Australia and Belarus um who are actually they met for the first time um in the Fed Cup so Australia they have not even competed in the world group since 2015 um and they hadn't reached a final since 93 um belarus uh for some context they've been in the world group for the third straight year and uh they reached the final back in 2017 so a bit more recent form you know in the fed cup for belarus but again another exciting tie again came down to the final uh rubber with the doubles um but yeah we had some like top top players so we had sabalenka and azarenka uh holding the fort for Belarus and then Ash Barty and Sam Stozer for Australia. And it was, you know, literally just those two players for each team that actually came on court and performed. Yeah. And Ash Ash Barty 
was almost I think the M- the MVP of the tie. I think she yeah. won she won both of her singles matches and then the deciding doubles match um, with Stoza o- over Azarenka and and Sabalenka. So certainly there are some there were some high quality players on show in that. You know, I think actually kind of looking at it, I was almost expecting, I think I was expecting Belarus to kind of edge that. But uh, yeah, Bar- Barty came to the party, Kim. <laughs> Barty came to the party. Oh, do you know what? I've never heard <laughs> Sorry, that I just before. had to go for it. Had to Her go name for it. is so good for that. Uh, yeah, I expected Sabalenka <laughs> to maybe do a bit more against um, Barty, but she lost 6-2, 6-2. But Barty, I mean, she's probably the ultimate Fed Cup player because she's ranked nine in both singles and doubles. Which, I mean, what more could you want? You know, she is arguably the most overall player, um, well, certainly on the women's game in terms of her ranking. Um, so, yeah, she's a, a real force to be reckoned with. So, yeah, it will be a France-Australia final in uh, November, I believe. Um, we also had um, some other, you know, playoffs happening. Uh, we'll be getting onto the the British girls in a minute. But uh, we had um, Czech Republic beating Canada for for love uh usa beating switzerland 3-2 latvia germany the germans won that 3-1 and spain um clinched victory over belgium 3-2 um we had russia italy 4-0 to the russians japan thrash the netherlands for love and also slovakia brazil um three three one slovakia i think it was sibulkova's last uh fed cup appearance for that as well i know she did like a little lap of honour at the end and uh, we will get on to the British tie against Kazakhstan in just a second as well so yeah all happening in the Fed Cup over the last uh, weekend yeah and uh, that kind of wraps it up for this segment of results roundup before we get on to on to the Fed Cup involving the Great Britain versus Kazakhstan tie we're just going to quickly jump ahead to scoreboard stories what uh, I'm going to do Kim is you know, I don't think we have we we rarely get time to talk about like losses and Rafael Nadal on a clay surface. But um, I saw an interesting statistic on people who hold clay court wins over Rafael Nadal between 2002 and 2019, and there are seven players. And I asked, I I, I deliberately didn't put the answers on the script, so you couldn't just read like pretend you didn't know and then you could just read them but there are seven players who uh at the moment hold multiple wins over Rafael Nadal on a clay surface how many of them can you name oh blimey okay well <laughs> Fognini for a start yeah Djokovic mm-hmm. yeah uh Dominic Team. yeah has he beaten Rafa got three um... he's got three three wins against uh, Nadal Oh gosh, has Federer beaten Rafa more than more? Yes, yeah. <laughs> You're nodding at me. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay, I've got three more to get. Three more to get. Um, maybe someone in the early days. Um, oh blimey! I know Rafa lost to Juan Carlos Ferrero back in like Rome many moons ago. He he is one of quite a few players who's got one victory, ah. which I'll I'll I'll, I'll name in, in uh, af- afterwards. But uh, okay. um, yeah, you're missing a very obvious one. I'm totally. almost offended. No, oh, Malik Chaziri. <laughs> uh, let's say one of them is retiring next week. I oh, think. David Ferrer. Yeah, David oh, Ferrer. Sorry. Um, mm. 
and give me a clue. One, um, he's Scottish. Oh, maybe? Andy Murray. <laughs> oh, whoops. Oh dear. Okay, and one more. Um, blimey. Yeah. And one more. from the old from the olden days, French Open champion. We spoke about him. Oh, um, um, about Gaston Gaudio. Gaston Gaudio. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> holds, holds three wins over Nadal. Novak Djokovic holds um, is out in front on seven, and yeah, Dominic Dominic team on three as well. Um, and then there are a handful of players who have one victory over Nadal, and I'll just kind of go through these. Um, so Almagro, Igor Andreev, Guillermo Correa, Karecha. Wow. <laughs> Cuevas, Ferrero, Gonzalez, Lepenti, which is really going back, mm. um, Moya, mm. Mutis, who I've never even heard of. <laughs> Who's he? Um, <laughs> Olivier Rocus, Soderling, Vadasco, Vavrinka, and Zabayos. Mm. So, Select yeah. group of so players. <laughs> yeah, mixed, a mixed, mixed group there. I feel like Mutis is like the odd one out because... He's the one I've not heard of. No, but, um, I might need to even search out when when that was because that yeah, must be or, or that must from. have been very early on. Yeah. Okay, so let's go on to our Brits on tour section, uh, where we'll finally be discussing the British Fed Cup tie against Kazakhstan that happened in London over the weekend at the Copper Box Arena, and we're very uh, pleased to be joined once again by uh, Lee, who runs the Tennis on Telly account on Twitter. Um, and Lee was actually at the uh, Copper Box Arena for the tie on the weekend. So um, we're really keen to get uh, your insights on it, Lee. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, a little bit tired. It's been a long weekend, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm good. It was a really good experience to to go to a Fed Cup tie, um, you know, a proper Fed Cup tie as opposed to kind of a group stage, um, which I, I, I went to the group stage in Bath, but this was, you know, a whole different thing um you know 500 uh, 5500 people all in one arena just for the the one tie absolutely amazing experience yeah and so yeah as you said it's more like the real deal isn't it i mean mm. um for anyone who doesn't know britain uh have managed to end a 26 year wait for fed cup promotion uh winning the tie 3-1 um in pretty dramatic fashion um mm. i was only really able to follow it online because I was away um mm-hmm. but I can only imagine like the atmosphere that would have been in, in the arena um especially with all the the drummers I think that the Kazakhstanis yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> brought into the venue yeah <laughs> like it's very musical that, I, th- I think that took um the the Brits by surprise a little bit um I don't think they'd expected quite so much noise from um, and to be fair, I don't think the Kazakhstan players had even expected that. Um, <laughs> I think uh, they, they, a couple of times they were asked to kind of tone it down by their own team, um, which uh, completely fell on deaf ears. Um, you know, <laughs> they, they they were pretty good. You've got to put the, the drummer and, and the trombonist as well. Hats off to him. He, he knew all the tunes. Um you know anything you surprise you, you think you've you think you've heard it all and you're in the in the second day in the final uh set of the the second match and he still comes up with something new so um yeah <laughs> they did they did amazing to 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 make so much noise in that stadium but it was a, it was a great place to to hold the tie um the copper box i mean we we i was talking to a friend um when the the event in bath finished in 
February about potentially where they could hold a home tie if Great Britain got a home tie and um there's there's nowhere really you don't you don't want anywhere that's too big because you know we, t- we think about sort of Davis Cup ties that that Great Britain have had they've been in really big places um yeah. like the, the I can't remember the name of the arena up in Glasgow but um or I went to the, the tie that we had against Japan here in Birmingham a couple of years ago and that would be a huge place but there's then there's if you look at other venues there's nowhere really kind of just the right size apart from the copper box so it was a no-brainer really to hold it there and on the first day kind of going in what were your what were your feelings were you nervous were you excited did you think we were going to do it do you think it was going to be like a cakewalk or do you think it was going to you know go down to the deciding doubles what were your what were your feelings um absolutely no idea how it could have gone because fed cups a whole different kettle of fish to the tour um it, it really is different. And I think if, I saw a stat somewhere that um, I think Joe Conter's matches where she's come back from a set down, she's done it more times in Fed Cup than anywhere else. So it's, I, I think the players see it differently. They go into it with a different kind of attitude because they're not just playing for themselves, they're playing for their country. Um, which, and I think having that team support around and they've got their coach right there on the bench with them as well. It is, you do approach it, I think, as a player probably differently than you would any other match um, that you'd play. Um, and I think that kind of, the players would, would probably say that. Um, I think they, you know, they did say that in, in their interviews afterwards, um, mm. that there is nothing like that, especially if you've got a home tie as well and you've got, um, you know, 5,000 odd fans around or, cheering mostly all cheering cheering you on um you know it, there's nothing like it again in davis cup there's nothing like it especially that home away format so yeah. um i think it's one of those things that with the davis cup changing is the fed cup going to change and, and it would be a shame if the um they made that decision before they've realized you know before they've had any kind of chance to see what the, the changes that are making to the davis cup do i think they need to do that and evaluate that before they do anything with the fed cup but we'll see and yeah, I think kind of just going back to that point on on support, I think that was kind of a big thing, particularly mm. on on the second day, because you know Bolter on the first day she had match points to potentially put you know GB you know two nil up in the time. Oh, she was so um, close. Yeah, and she was kind of you know uh, what were your kind of feelings? Were you like oh so close? And you know, did you think it was going to have an effect, or did you think you know she was going to be able to kind of you know, was, do you think she was mentally tough enough to kind of, you know, bring herself together? And, and if called upon, you know, like she was, you know, in, in that on the second day, she was, you know, ready and, and willing to perform. I mean, it was a bit of a worry, wasn't it? Because she went off with the medical timeout in the se- early in the second set. And because and she'd gone off court, no one really knew um, what the medical timeout was for. And no one really knew 100% what that was for until they saw her on the Sunday with the hot water bottle on her back. Um so I think in that match, there was always that, oh, she may not get through this one, um, which so when she's come, when she's in the second, um, in, sorry, in the third set and in the tie break, you're thinking she's done really well to get into the, this position here. Um, she can, you know, she can be so proud of how she's played um, to even get to that point, whether she wins or loses. I mean, ideally, yes, you wanted to 
to win it. And she she was so gutted afterwards. You could see it in her face. She was so gutted afterwards to lose that to lose that match on such a fine margin. Um, but I think you know, I think that only probably made her just want it even that little bit more coming into Sunday and and knowing that she would be fit enough to play on Sunday uh, and hearing that she would be fit enough to play on Sunday morning um, when we return that, that she would be playing. I think that put a lot of people at ease because, you know, you're thinking then, well, if she's not fit enough to play, who else do you then put in? If you <laughs> yeah, do need, slightly, you know, because... With all due respect to Heather Watson, she's not got form at the moment. And, no. you know, um, your other players are ranked lower. Um, but again, it's Fed Cup. It's different. So, yeah, it was a little bit worrying on the Saturday evening going home, I must say. And even kind of with Conta's matches as well. I mean, you know, I think Conta, everyone almost was kind of expecting Conta to kind of you know, win both her, mm. top, you know, her singles matches, mm. uh, you know, being... But they weren't easy. It, uh, no, they they won. They definitely had their own kind of battles w- within them, particularly, you know, coming um, from 4-1 down in, in the final mm. set against uh, Putintseva. You know, that must have also been... what keep Kept you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and those seats aren't comfortable after you've sat in them for a good number of hours. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're, you're quite a tall person with long legs like me, it's you, you know you're constantly trying to get into a position where you're comfortable. But anyway, um, but that that's, that's everywhere. Um, but yeah, for for it to come back, I mean, I saw a great headline um, today, which was um, they called them the, the comeback queens of, of Fed Cup because you know that that's what they've done in each of their matches. They'd come back from a, a set down um, to win. Um, and that, and I think that's, you know, for each of those matches that they won to go to that final set and for some of them to be that close, um, close to losing and then that close to, to actually get over the line. Um, it just adds to the tension in that, in that arena mm-hmm. so much. And, and the, then because you've got that tension when it actually does happen, I think it means that the emotions in that, in that place are, are even more heightened than they would be had it, they'd been won in straight sets, for example. Yeah. I think. I think, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, they've, they've been in that situation before, mm. you know, I remember obviously with Japan last, last year and it's kind of, I think they're kind of, you know, in my, in my head, I'd like to think that, you know, Conta particularly would be thinking about those experiences and be mm. like, nope, not, not this time, it's not going to happen. And she kind mm. of used that, that to kind of fuel her, you know, her performance in those moments where, you know, defeat was kind of a, a possible reality. I mean, we, we know that we know that Conta can do that comeback. Um, you know, we, we've saw it. I mean, we saw it, the, the match that she played uh, against Halep the year that she won it in Miami. I mean, that was a match that she she played. She started off really well, but then Halep got the better of her. But Halep, part part of the reasons that she came back in that match was that Halep collapsed. Now, at no point in the Fed Cup did either of her opponents drop off on their level they were up for it just as much so i think to have to achieve what they've achieved this weekend and to mm-hmm. and to get those and for contest particularly to get those two wins against players that are, you know want it just as badly as she does um because kazakhstan are in the same we're in a similar position they've never been to the world group before mm-hmm. um so it was you know it was history fed cup history for them really if they if they'd done it and 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 to be honest 
I hope that they do do it, you know, next time round that they get the opportunity to because they're such a good team to watch, um, to to watch Great Britain play against. Um, I think, you know, it really just showed that all of the players had it in them to, and, and to be honest, it could have gone either way, that tie. Really could have gone either way. It just came down to such fine margins. Yeah. And do you think... Um... I know you said the, you know, for a tall man in in, in short seats, you, you were kind of glad the matches were over. But um, you know, the they didn't play the doubles. Were what were your feelings behind that? Were you like, okay, that's that's fine, or were you kind of, did you want to see a bit more tennis? Um, personally, I was fine with that. I think you know, if we'd if we'd won it three three zero, um, then it would have been nice to see the doubles. But um, they were two long matches on Sunday. They both went to three sets. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think too many people were disappointed to not see the other players play. They still saw them on the court. Um, they still saw them in the celebrations. I think it was the right thing to do for, the, for them to, to not play the doubles because obviously they didn't have to. Um, they hadn't done it in Bath either. So I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, the worst thing that could happen to a player is you're playing a dead, a dead rubber in Fed Cup and then you pick up an injury while you're playing a dead rubber because you know, it could happen. People pick up injuries all the time, don't they, practice and, and, and all sorts. So uh, if you're not playing that match, and you, especially with, you know, an audience, you don't want that to happen. So I think it was the right thing to do. Um, like I say, it was a, it was a long day. So, <laughs> you know. It, 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 <laughs> Weren't it, it, short change oh, I mean, No, exactly. And, and you know, I had to get back to Birmingham as well. So I was kind of glad that I wasn't getting back to Birmingham at one o'clock in the morning as well. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and people did travel a long way for it. So um, mm. it is good that it didn't finish too late because it could have finished quite quite late had it gone down to the doubles, I think. <laughs> no, definitely. Cool. No, it was fantastic. Um event I can't well I mean I don't know when the next <laughs> when it will next uh you know hopefully we'll get another home tie because yeah so I really next been a big go on sorry I'll let you finish oh no no no, no you, <laughs> you go, <Lee. laughs> okay so our next our next tie would be in February next year um because we would be in well assuming that the Fed Cup format doesn't change for 2020. Doesn't change. Yeah. yeah. If it does change, then there's, you know, qualifiers and wildcards and all coin, all that kind of stuff to get into. Um, not quite sure what that would involve. But under the current format, the next match would be in February against one of the other seven teams yeah. in the World Group mm-hmm. 2. So um, I haven't got the list available to, to refer to but no, um, no, you've got the likes fine. of Canada was on that list and and, yeah. and a couple of you know it's world group two so it's decent countries um and there'd yeah. be some exciting ties in there so I think and I think also if Great Britain got a home tie again I think it would be a no-brainer to bring that back to the copper box and play there the again box. because as a venue yeah. um you know I think it was the perfect size venue perfect you know for creating the atmosphere no troubles really getting in and that kind of stuff. They've got, um, you know, a bit of a letdown with the having to queue for food and things, but, you know, 
they can they can that's sort kind those of things part, part of things, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean yeah, yeah i know you should, sometimes when you're a tennis fan you and you go and see two matches you expect not to eat from breakfast until dinner so it's yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. How <laughs> we've all been there and done it like. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but as a, you know the other thing the, the great thing about that venue is that if you were at the side and while you were waiting to get back to your seat you can watch the action from the side so there's not a lot of places where you can do that because like you know yeah. your entrance is are at the same level as the court in most places exactly. so um to be able to do that um without it being a distraction to the players i think you know was really good um and they really did did well to create a, a good atmosphere in there no that's great cool. yeah no it's um yeah, so I think the rest of our Brits, well, they can't quite top what the Fed Cup team no. did in the um, Well, perhaps, perhaps I mean, Jay Clark. Yeah, Jay Clark, though. We do have a winner mm. in Jay Clark who, re- uh, well, he won the Anning Challenger in yes. China. Um, yes, I, I wasn't up at yeah. uh, six o'clock in the morning on Sunday <laughs> to watch it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, congratulations. I think no. it's his second Challenger title. Yep, it is, yeah, and he's second. going to be up to a career-high ranking of 160. I think he mm. beat two top 100 players. Um, yeah, I think he took out the top seed, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he beat uh, Jordan Thompson, mm. and then I think he defeated the uh, the defending champion in Pranesh Gunaswaran in, in the final. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, interestingly, yeah, as you said, Kim, up to career-high 160, and, you know, Coming coming into kind of Wimbledon and grass court season, yeah, you know, I think he'll be you know at the very top of the list in terms of homegrown Brits for uh, a wild card potentially into mm. the into the main draw. Yeah, the only other um, thing, Cam Norrie did sort of fairly well at Monte Carlo, but frustratingly oh, uh, lost to. He had Red such Blue. a good draw. He his draw opened up for him <laughs> big time. He really could have gone through to the semis even, but if he'd have got yeah. you know past Sonego, um, so that was a bit frustrating. And um, Carl Edmund lost first round to Schwartzman. So that was really irritating because he was uh, leading by a set and three love. And then Schwartzman mm-hmm. came back to uh, to beat him quite comfortably in the and, end. And, so. and Carl didn't do very well with the draw gods either, did he? Because he, he'd originally drawn someone else and um, yeah. until and Gail yes. Monfils pulled out um, yeah. to, to set up. Uh, um, Why Schwartzman even unseeded? It seemed, it seemed a bit <laughs> unfair. Yeah, yeah Schwartzman yeah. was like top 15 you know, not so long yeah, ago. Not so so long ago. Yeah. It's it's yeah, it's a bit bizarre. But um yeah, so quite a mix of results for the Brits uh last week. Um yeah. but yeah, I think the, dub- I, the doubles though. Doubles. Well yeah, Jamie, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm being rude, missing out Jamie Murray. He got to the semis in Monte Carlo. Mm. Um so yeah, good solid result for Jamie and uh, Bruno Suarez um with a semi final result. Um, I think that brings us on to our wild card section, um, where we kind of just discuss all and sundry from the uh, from the Wimbledon tour, from the uh, tennis <laughs> tour. Um, getting ahead of myself now. Um, so, Lee, as you're on the pod again, um, mm. you're kind of our our go to expert for where you can watch tennis on telly. Um, for anyone who hasn't already listened, we had a really good in depth chat with Lee um, in an earlier episode. So, if you just go um, to your podcast uh, platform and you can just search uh, previous episodes to find that. But um, have there been any updates, Lee, in the world of tennis broadcasting that you'd like to 
to share with us? I think you know the answer to that is yes, and that's why you've had me on. So. <laughs> um, no, yes. Um, so one, one thing that uh, is going to become a, a talking point probably in the next couple of months is what happens with the rights to the WTA tour um, that BT Sport currently have, um, because it is their final year in their current deal to have the WTA tour. Um, and now Stuart Fraser in the Times um, this week uh sorry, last week reported that um, the WTA are close to signing a deal with Amazon Prime Video, um, which is interesting because obviously Amazon Prime Video are the holders um, for the TV rights for the majority of the ATP tour. So what this means is that um, both the ATP and the WTA tour in the UK and Ireland, you'd be able to watch them in the same place. Um, So, you know, I think that I personally... There's, there's two ways that people look at this in terms of one is it's streaming and I don't like streaming because it's slower than watching it on TV and sometimes the connection is a bit funny. Um, I was I was talking to someone about at the weekend about this and I said that um, when I initially started watching tennis on Amazon Prime Video, I used to get people come to me and say, Sometimes the connection goes and sometimes the screen goes a bit fuzzy and it looks like you're watching it through a goldfish tank and things like that. And I'd never experienced these problems. So to me, it was always, well, I think that's a problem your end, perhaps with your broadband or something like that. And that's still where I stand on it. But but I since since, since then, I've moved house and now I get those problems in my new place sometimes. So I'm certainly not putting it down to, you know, user error. But I do think that. You know, in some places in the country, the, the broadband speeds aren't quite up to scratch. Or so I think, you know, sometimes it depends on what you do, what else you're doing on your Wi-Fi at the same time and things like that. So, um, but yeah, it's it, it's not 100% perfect for everyone yet. Um, you know, this world of of streaming. Um, but I think it's it, it's where it's going because it's a cheaper way of delivering content to the customers. Do you think that now Amazon Prime are you know potentially going to be um showing you know the WTA tour as well as the ATP does that does that worry you that they're just monopolizing the tennis broadcasting market um a little bit um obviously for for the concerns that I've mentioned um however they're, they're still competing with tennis tv and WTA tv that are provided direct from the um from the tours the the relationship that that the ATP have with Amazon Prime is quite close so that I don't think they're too worried about whether you're watching it through tennis TV or whether you're watching it through Amazon Prime as long as you're watching tennis um, I think for the consumer it's great because the cost of watching um, tennis throughout the tour throughout the season comes right down I mean you can you can be watching Amazon you can be watching Amazon Prime plus of all the all the other benefits that that gets you um, yeah. from £79 a year or five ninety nine a month, uh, you know, there's the, the discounts for students as well. I think it's also great to have it in one place for the broadcasters. It will, for them to, it will be easier to cover it for for, for a number of reasons. Um, for example, you know, if there's a combined event in, say, Madrid or Rome that's coming up, they'll be able to do both tours together and they'll be able to discuss both tours. So, you know, moment where they have their student their, their studio discussions, if, if the, you know, they're talking about the ATP, they kind of just have to ignore the WTA as if it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. So there'll be none of that happening. And then like towards the end of the week, you won't have um, times where they're waiting for one match to finish before they can cover 
the match that they have the rights for because they'll be covering both. Um, I think they'll be relying more on um, the world feed commentators um, than their own commentators a lot more. So particularly, you know, the commentators that you find on tennis TV and WJTV, they'll be the same ones on Amazon Prime. So in terms of the actual content that you get, there won't be much difference apart from in the big tournaments where they want to do their own things more to make it stand out. But, you know, for your international level and 250s and 500s, it'll look, what you're watching will look the same. Um, the, only, the only other thing just to, to add on to that is that um, it's my understanding that BT haven't completely given up on the rights totally. So it's not a done deal with Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um, then there is um, a chance that BT may go into a little bit of a bidding war and decide to keep them. I mean, BT have proven that they're really committed to women's tennis this year in their coverage of the, of the Fed Cup. Um, I think it's been exceptional. Um, so I think if they if they were had abandoned kind of anything to do with uh, women's tennis, they wouldn't have gone to the, the effort of, you know, sending a presenter plus three commentators to the copper box. They may have done it from their own studios, albeit they are only probably 500 yards away at, uh, the, at yeah. the Olympic Park. Um, but, you know, they could have just done it from, you know, a bloke in a basement commentary kind of thing um, rather than actually being there to interview the players and things. So it does go to show that they do put, you know, they do have that kind of commitment and they, and they do want, you know, really kind of champion um women's tennis as they do with other women's sports to be fair um, and yeah. they do show a lot of women's sport on bt um so overall if that if this does happen and um prime do take the wta um rights that will literally just leave um the three slams that amazon don't have so the aussie open the french open and wimbledon which would be elsewhere plus the Australian ATP tournaments, whatever they look like next year, because Eurosport have okay. them until 2021. And then there's a question mark around the the British um, grass court events leading up to Wimbledon on the WTA side, um, because that seems to be one of the things that kind of gets just gets renewed on a yearly basis. So um, Eurosport had them last year. We, we don't know whether they have them even this year. So, you know, we can't, we, we can only speculate for next year for that. But, at the end of the day, I think it probably is a good thing because it will be a lot cheaper for people to to watch tennis yeah, than it currently is now. Having different things in different places, yeah. I think that's what it's going to come down to at the end of the day for most people. Yeah, if it can simplify things and make mm. it more affordable and you know user friendly, I'm I'm for that as well. Um, but mm. yeah, I'm sure um, if anyone listening has any queries, then then you are the the, the guy to go to because uh, you know you're, you keep. <laughs> Um, I don't think there was an awful lot more, Joel, um, that's kind of happened in the last week um, on the tour. I know Wimbledon had a bit of an announcement, um, or at least there was rumours, I don't know if it's actually official, um, that the the ballot's going digital for 2020. Yeah, I was just saying to... I was just saying to Lee before we were recording this episode that they've, they've brought themselves up to around about 2002, 2003 mm. you know, with that statement. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a, I think, you know, this is the sort of thing that's been long overdue. And yeah, I hope I hope it does come in for 2020 because, yeah, I think it I think it's um, yeah, I think it will make the system a lot more easier to manage, a lot more efficient, a lot more environmentally friendly as well. Yeah, I think, I think... To be sending off 
forms, you know, in this day and age. Like I think hopes. it will increase demand on the ballot. So I think at the moment, probably having it as a, you know, as a postal system, you know, it is it is an effort you've got to go to to get yourself in the ballot. Um, and I think by having it electronically, a lot more people will, um, you know, do that, do it that way. And yeah. it will be hard, perhaps tougher to get tickets through the ballot because it will be more popular yeah. i don't know it remains to be yeah. seen that is having, true that but is having, true having having said that and and this will be our kind of final point to end on is kim i believe that you your mum was it was successful in the ballot yeah. this year my mum got, got semi-final tickets men's semi-finals tickets and she texts me going oh we've got men's semi-finals i was like oh we have to go and I said, how much are they? And then she said, £195 each. And I was like, what? That is ridiculous. Because <laughs> um, I didn't realise that they were that expensive. Mm. I was like, how much is the final? Um, that's 225 And I just thought, I don't know what to do because, okay, last last year the men's semis were like epics. But, uh, you know, previous years haven't really been so good and it's a lot of money just for two matches that might be mm. retirements or, you know, straight sets. And I, um, I put this out on Twitter, actually. Um, I said, what would you rather do? You know, would you go for the men's semifinals or would you, you know, go for a whole week, uh, week one and do like grounds passes and, you know, get a whole week of action, seven days worth or six days, you know, for less, for less uh, basically than the cost of one of those tickets. And, you know, you still have money for food and PIMS and whatever. Um, and actually, overwhelmingly, the responses were that I should take the semi-final tickets. Um, but I don't know. What what would you do, Lee? What, what are your I, I, think, I think I'd probably go for the grounds pass earlier in the week and get more value for yeah. money and see more <laughs> matches. Um, I, it's a tough one because, you know, to be fair, you never know who you're going to see, do you? Anyway, exactly. With the probable, with the probably probable exception that if you perhaps buy Monday, if you probably get Monday and Tuesday on centre court, you're probably going to see Roger Federer, and that's probably the only guarantee that you get at Wimbledon. So, um, exactly. It's it's, yeah, it's no, a tough I went, one. I went the first the round same. <laughs> I have to say, I'm really sorry for everyone who did tweet and say take the semi-final tickets, mm. but I have chosen. <laughs> to yeah. um book my annual leave off work and fly back <laughs> for the first week and I'm gonna try and camp and queue and you know yeah, I think you've, do I it think the you've old the right fashioned thing way. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I think that wraps about uh that wraps it up for this episode of the passing shot. Uh we'd like to like thank Lee for coming on to give us his You're uh, very welcome. insider insider tips on the on the Fed Cup and also on uh, the latest um, goings on on um, on TV with tennis. So thanks for coming on, Lee. You're very welcome. Thanks very, very um, much for having me on. And um, yeah, if you want to subscribe uh, to the podcast, remember we're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Just search the Passing Shot Tennis Podcast and we'll uh, come up. If you really enjoyed the show, please remember to give us a like, give us a rating, give us a comment. And you can contact the show on our social media channels at Passing Shot Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Passing Shot Pod on Facebook. Or you can email the show PassingShotPod at gmail.com. We'll be back next time and we hope you can join us then. Thank you and goodbye.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.